For the past 20 years, the South Bend Shovel Slayer has terrorized the communities around Illinois, and today we hope to uncover his true identity and put this mystery to bed. Okay, that's good. That's good. Oh, a serial style podcast about the what's what's South he? Bend Shovel the South Slayer. Bend Shovel Slayer. Yep. Yeah, that was uh, that was wild. <laughs> I took that note down too. I'm not convinced that he isn't the South Bend Shovel Slayer. He's really reticent about <laughs> his past. Yeah, I guess like there's no evidence to prove that he was, and no evidence to prove that he wasn't. Kind of not unlike our Miracle on 34th Street Santa Claus case. You just gotta have faith that he isn't. I guess he, he's in that in between space where he might be a serial killer and he might be not. That's a just a wild story for Buzz to be telling his. Who else is in that scene? It's the little brother and his cousin, I guess. I think it's his cousin, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm Joe, by the way. I'm Jess. And you're listening to what? You're listening to You'll Podcast Your Eye Out. 25 days, 25 holiday films. We're doing them all in a row. And today we're talking about 1990 American Christmas classic, Home Alone. Yeah, pretty good film. Older... I don't know if elder millennials are biased to this movie. No, I just, I think everyone loves violence, so they're going to like this film. If you like violence. It has a violent later half. Yeah, it has. It has a tonal shift <laughs> in it <laughs> where we're kind of watching Kevin be kind of like a little cutie sweetie pie. That's right. And then there's a serious tonal shift at a certain point in this movie <laughs> where things start getting a little... Uh, both kind of slapsticky, but also a lot darker. Absolutely. Yeah, schmaltz, you get all the schmaltz out at the beginning, and then you get into the Rambo at the in the second half, and you get another little sh- Christmas me sh- schmaltz at the end, and you're good. Th- that's why I like this film. I think that's why I like this film so much as a kid. Do you like that? Do you think that's a good formula for a holiday mo- movie, the Christmas schmaltz sandwich, where you've got two thin layers of schmaltzy bread with some Christmas zaniness in the middle. Is this maybe, dare I say, an ideal formula for a holiday movie? Because I do like both. I do like having both, and it's a hard balance to strike in some of these movies as we're learning. Are you trying to think of another Christmas movie that meets that schmaltz sandwich designation? No, I'm trying I to think too, of another. Think of one. I'm trying to think of another sandwich ingredient I can include in my Christmas sandwich. <laughs> no, I was thoughtfully looking off, and I was genuinely just thinking about sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The movie. So we're watching Home Alone. This is episode number five of our uh, twenty-five episode podcast. We are one fifth of the way in. We're looking at each other and we're shaking our heads just a little bit where it's like... This is hard. It's dawned on us what we've gotten ourselves into. Yeah, I don't know if this was a good idea. (laughs) And the 25th or the fifth movie that we watched opens with the McAllister family getting ready for a vacation, a, a holiday vacation, a winter Christmas vacation to France, to Paris. Did you catch, yeah, that this is a gift from... Like this is a gift from the dad. Catherine O'Hara is explaining in the open epi- in the opening scene to Joe Pesci as as the fake cop. 
she gives like a little expositional speech where she delivers a lot of information about the trip that the family's taking and it was kind of hard to follow but I was like oh no wonder I kind of was unclear on these details when I was a kid because all that exposition is delivered pretty quickly in that little speech it, it was so puzzling to me why it was so important for them to justify why they were going to Paris for Christmas vacation. They could have just made the vacation to anywhere and made it like they're going on Christmas vacation. Why was it so necessary to have this? Like, I, I did not parse the reason. It, it was he, this rushed sentence. He, it's either that Kevin's dad, he has a job in France or has been working in France. Because the one thing that I did catch from Catherine O'Hara's little monologue is that two of the two eldest children in this uh, McAllister clan yeah. go to school in France. Oh, two, that's she mentions. Oh, our, our, his two eldest have been in school in France. And I clocked that because later on, one of or uh, in a scene just a little bit later, yeah. the one of the daughters says, Kevin, you're what the French call les incompetents. And yeah. I was like, oh, cute. I didn't when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird that she would just speak French. But I, I'm like, that must be one of the girls who goes to school in France. I guess so. Yeah, I, that all of I thought she was just trying to show off what little bit of maybe school friends she had, but all of that passed over me. And honestly, it doesn't matter. They're they're in another country and they can't get back in time to to be with Kevin. That's what's important about it. Mm -hmm. So it really, yeah, not necessary to have justified it. And kind of the most peculiar thing that um, they just, they had to do is justify this trip. Not necessary, or at least not in the way they did it. You don't think so? I do not. I yeah, I found the trip confusing. Or they're taking it's it's a just a classic we're going to spend the holiday in France, which I think is something that rich people do. How rich is this family? This movie is uh, from 1990, so they're 1990 pretty pretty rich. They're very rich. And how big is this family? So in the opening scene, that's the first few questions I have is how big is this family? Who there's so many people here. I can't figure out how many I guess eleven children is what they count. Is that when That's the, the eldest daughter number. does the hel- I guess yeah. or she's maybe she's maybe a cousin because I feel like he says the two eldest, so maybe her and the younger sister. Some of these people are Kevin's brothers and sisters and some of some them are, are cousins. Cousins because we've got the aunt and uncle there as well. And I'm not really sure who is who for the most part. No, I thought it I because I'm like, hey, I'm a sharp adult. I was watching it and I always found everything about these beginning few scenes confusing as a kid. But I was like, hey, I'm on the ball. I'll figure it out. But it was pretty much as confusing as it was when I was a kid. All I get is chaos from this family. All of it is just shouting and antagonism between these cousins and brothers and sisters. The fast forward we slept in monologue yeah. is very accurate. Like it has this kinetic energy that yeah. anybody who's ever slept in for something that they wanted to give themselves a bit of time to prep for probably can feel. Oh, I uh, stressed me out and I could really relate. Though I kind of like having that time pressure when I when I only have given myself not enough time to actually do all the things it's incredible how fast your body can move when you need it to yeah like it's wild when you need to get ready in 10 minutes you can get ready in 10 minutes and you can never trust that internal clock even when you're rushing like if you don't have that deadline and you try to push yourself to get ready in 10 minutes you can't (laughs) like yeah you know time space does not bend for you in the same way a good way for myself to be late is to give myself an extra two hours to get there. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing I found confusing about 
uh, the opening scene when I had seen this when I was a kid was who was that kid that came over and loused up the head count? The very first thing he says, I'm the neighbor from across the street. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, yeah. to be fair, a lot of stuff's happening in this movie, so I don't blame oh. myself for missing that when I was a kid. It is a little puzzling, though. He's really into their stuff. He he knows a lot about their family and where they're going. Yes, it's easy to miss, especially because so much of it is expositional. It's easy to get confused because it's literally the mom and the kid that are relating so much information about setting up this film, which is just, you know, big family in Illinois and Chicago. They're rich. They're going to go on a trip to Paris. One of them isn't. Do you think the kid from across the street's a little touched? Something a little off about that kid? He's a little, he's very bizarre. He's very inquisitive and he overshares. He definitely doesn't have any boundaries. Where's he off to? Where is he off to? I don't know. Bring me back something French. Yeah. <laughs> Bring me back something French. I like that. Uh, what, what bugged me was that I feel like that kid would have known that he messed up the head count and he should have said something because he didn't, he wasn't like a little, little kid. Yeah. He, can seems completely unaware that he has basically set the whole movie in motion by he's rummaging through the van while the head count's going on and accidentally gets counted as one of the McAllister children instead of Kevin, who's no one bothered to get. And he doesn't say anything. What a jerk. I feel, yeah, I feel like he must know what's going on. <laughs> so that's a little devious to now, be like, all right, bye. Have a good trip. To be fair, I if you've ever tried to take a trip with a large group of people where you're counting in order to make sure everyone's there, a big part of that strategy, do it more than one time at the beginning of the trip. I would maintain that this movie does about a 60% good job in convincing me that it would be reasonable that they left Kevin home alone. Absolutely. Like I mean, they do, I'm they do a lot of heavy it. lifting in the beginning trying to convince us that it's pretty reasonable. Like, yeah. oh, well, this is how it happened. You know what really convinces me is just how guilty the mom feels about leaving him at home. It's wild because, okay, all right, I want to preface this by being like, I'm aware that Kevin's mom is the one who puts him upstairs. Yeah. But like, she's the one who kind of, in her, I guess in her mind, like disrupts the routine or why the plans kind of maybe didn't go ahead in the morning. Another thing I missed when I was a kid was that they're having trouble with, there was an electrical storm or there was like a windstorm that night that, uh, so a branch fell on the phone lines. That's right. So they can't call home. The phone lines are out, but also the electricity is out in the beginning because there's a quick scene where the utility worker is explaining to Catherine O'Hara or Kate got the electricity fixed but it's going to be a couple more days before we get the phone lines up. So that takes care of another thing that I feel sometimes people say is a, a, a glaring plot point in this, where it's like, why wouldn't Kevin just phone the police? <laughs> and it's like, the phone lines are down. And it's like, okay. But they only really kind of quickly explain that. So that's, again, most people saw this when they were younger. And I feel like that's a pretty easy detail to miss because it is just a, they are just toss an exposition at us pretty pretty rapid fire at the beginning we need to get to him being home alone yeah <laughs> that's what's important so what do you think of the wet bandits scam at the beginning joe pesci showing up as the fake cop and he's casing all of these wealthy houses i think it'd work i think that a lot of criminals figure out that dressing up like cops is a good way to convince people that uh you are legitimate and authoritative and you should be trusted and then to go from house to house and say, you know what? You got to be careful and you got to be secure. 
and dressed as a cop, obviously the homeowners are going to want to assure the cop about how safe their home is, list any security devices they might have, and like also just explain how long they're going to be out. It is devious and pretty clever. I wonder if anyone's ever done something similar to that. I I was tempted to look it up too, whether there would be a case of like art imitating life or life imitating art where there's cases like this was either inspired by an instance of people doing this in real life or people either got, or got an idea from this and started doing this. <laughs> this is uh this is pretty dependent on uh the gut feeling that you get when you see a cop at your door and how cooperative you want to be with them. Yeah. <laughs> because just or I mean again looking through this through 2020 eyes versus uh 1990 eyes just the fact that the head of the household is just like, yeah, uh the lights are on timers. We have a security system. And he's just volunteering that information on a <laughs> Christmas silver platter <laughs> to this to this cop. And I don't know. Like, it's <laughs> even if a cop was asking me friendly questions now at the door, I'd be like, come back with a warrant. <laughs> so I feel like it hinges on that. I feel like it hinges on your relationship with cops and how much. And, and again, in 1990, if you're rich and again, he d- he's and I mean, Joe Pesci is uh, for how much he plays a convincing sleazeball. He's a convincing tough chicago cop oh for sure in this scene like i probably would uh or kevin's the only one who's looking at him stink-eyed like he's like you got a gold tooth chicago cops don't have a good enough dental plan to have gold teeth (laughs) kevin's the only one clocking that yeah or uh, kevin's just uh, a cab he's like what do you do what do you do and volunteering all this information to the to the pigs mom when he walks out Kevin is like a really strong man on the land libertarian who doesn't trust cops, but will also defend his property with lethal force. Yeah, this is a, I, that's great. This movie is a libertarian v- vehicle for sure. If uh, there had ever been a fourth film, it would have been called like it would have been called Nature Conservatory alone. It would have been like Kevin McAllister, like uh, hold up in a federal park ranger station or something like that holding it hostage and siege from the federal government. He's setting more traditional uh, bear traps and yeah. <laughs> gigantic holes with <laughs> netting and leaves over them that you fall into. I would like to see Kevin's booby trap making skills in other environments. He does well on his own home turf, but he's a pretty ingenious little kid, but I'd like to see him in other environments. Like what? Fighting Predator? <laughs> That was such a weird uh, uh, Home Alone versus Predator. Kevin yeah. McAllister versus Predator. Is that, you, the, is that the crossover you wanted rather I, than Alien? And like Kevin is like covering himself in mud. He goes, ah. <laughs> He's a wily kid. I like yeah. his odds out there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I for, it, uh, Did I already say that I forgot how good Joe Pesci was in this? Like, you I could say it again. very taken by him. He's incredible he's also got some great physical acting that i think he does there's a a few scenes especially when he's like falling around on the ice he is so fun and angry in this movie uh throughout especially in the second half he does a great job especially in the scene where he gets shot in the nards with a bb gun and he gets his head blown with a torch where he does some convincing like fake swearing yeah and I, that I think that's a hard one sometimes, Absolutely. like in a you know, to appear like a genuine tough guy who's talking like a toughie, but not effing and jeffing, and you know, is still keeping it PG thirteen for the kids. So just cho- Joe Pesci's ability to be like a convincing tough guy without having to like rely on the crutch of the f bombs and and cursing. That I was just like, oh, that's 
That's good. He's good at that. That's him in Casino, right? Yes. Yeah. Joe Pesci is in Casino. Joe Pesci is in Goodfellas. And he is playing a pretty similar character in both of those movies. This poor guy never gets to play nice boys. You feel sorry for Pesci being typecast? Absolutely. Someone should let him play like, I don't know. I think this is a Jack Skellington, uh, King of Halloween, (laughs) stick with what you know situation (laughs) where it's kind of like... Again, da- Danny DeVito has to be Danny DeVito. He couldn't be anybody else. And I feel Joe Pesci has to be Joe Pesci. There's n- not too many other people he could be. Who plays Marv, the opposite of Joe Pesci? That's Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. Yep. Real fun, too. They're yeah. a great duo. Yep. Got a real Laurel Hardy kind of. They're well matched. Yeah. They're a good height for each other as a comedic duo. They have a pinky in the brain quality, or they've got a smart wise guy and a and a a dumb whatever you say charlie guy quality (laughs) yeah classic dichotomy smart dumb or what's the dog and the the two dogs the looney tune dogs are you thinking of the the bulldog and the little dog who's always prancing around him yeah 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 normally i know my obscure looney tunes characters charlie i want to say charlie the bulldog hang on let me i'm wrong charlie dog via looney tunes is a totally different character that i only vaguely recognize spike and chester spike and chester i was way off i guess well i got i guess i mistook charlie for chester but chester's the little one who's jumping around the big one yep spike the bulldog and chester the terrier when i was i'm curious actually when the first instance of spike and chester would have been are they are they one of the earlier prototypes for this Dumb guy, smart guy. 1952 is the first Spike and Chester. That's a pretty feature. long time ago. Tree not as long two. as our, not as long as Miracle on 34th Street, which is the oldest thing we've seen recently. So that's true. In that's our new metric for old. So if you're not as old as Miracle on 34th Street, you're not that old. <laughs> then I'll never be that old. Like I said before, this it's doing a good job of making me think it would be pr- pretty reasonable for them to leave a kid behind. There's the botched head count. Yeah. The the alarm didn't go off, so they're they're fr- they're frantic trying to make it. That's true. Uh, and Kevin has been sent to a isolated space because of all the conflict surrounding that's him. That's right. The night There's before. been a disruption to the plan and or routine. Kevin's not sleeping where he normally is. Yeah, he's in the attic. So he misses the hubbub of everyone being late and getting ready in the morning. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about his one cousin that he has to sleep with that Kevin is so terrified to sleep with. Fuller. Fuller because Fuller. Fuller. portrayed by uh Kieran Culkin, his brother in real life. Is that really yeah. really? Yeah. Little Fuller. Wow. Yeah. You don't there's a little bit of a family resemblance there. They kinda have Well, they're both part of the McAllisters, so I just assume that's that 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 was alike. just casting. Yeah. No, they're that's his real life little brother. That's amazing. Yep. So Kevin doesn't want to share a bed with Fuller because Fuller unfortunately wets the bed. Mm-hmm. To such an extent that when Kevin looks at him after Kevin, uh, Fuller takes this deep gulp of Pepsi and uh, his mom's like, don't drink too much, foreshadowing him probably peeing the bed. And he looks at Kevin and he, it's not just that he wets the bed, but he wants to pee on Kevin. That is his goal. He really is excited for the, the evening. It's not that he's just a bedwetter. It's a bedwetter and he just like he's into it. Like he doesn't yeah, care. He's embraced his body and now he has a hobby (laughs) this is i guess uh you know you don't want to shame a kid for bedwetting but i guess fuller's what happens when you don't shame a kid enough for bedwetting he needs a little more shame maybe just a little just enough not to share this with kevin 
They're very nice to Fuller. They're very concerned about Fuller. <laughs> Generally, they're not very nice to Kevin. No. No. One thing about this movie, especially this first. It's supposed, I don't know if it's supposed to be maybe framed through the eyes of a child and how a child sees their family as being unfair. And maybe we're supposed to be kind of. But if we take the movie j- just as we're seeing it. Yeah. Uh, the movie's like the ver- or the family's awful to him. <laughs> Yeah, like his brother or cousin calls him Flemwad. He's called Les Incompetents by his sister. Um, I guess like Kevin's supposed to be a pretty big wiener, but just the fact that they're like, you're useless. You literally don't know how to do anything for yourself. And it's like he's eight, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's eight years old. old. (laughs) What is he supposed to know what to do? He gets called a jerk. And Kevin, you're such a disease. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff right out of the gate that the family does to him that's super questionable absolutely the parents aren't witness for any of this stuff but to be real a lot of the stuff that the parents say to him right to the kid's face aren't all that much better no his mom is not willing to listen to him or even he basically she basically eggs him on she seems stressed yeah well that's fair you know what this is (laughs) a big endeavor the mom seems stressed but she takes it out on the wrong kid i think Kevin is not happy and he feels betrayed by his entire family. He calls his mom dummy. I don't know if you saw that. As she's leading what scene him up. What was that? She's leading him, leading him up to the attic. Oh, and he's like, you dummy. Yeah. I don't know. Kids say shit. Yeah, I don't know if he's, I would okay, ever I mean, Kevin just dummy. got called like fucking a disease and a nimrod that's, and an incompetent within 14 seconds. Yeah, so families true. lob insults or, or <laughs> this family lobs insults. This family is very it's aggro. Not, that's totally no- normative. So the fact that he like slipped up and called his mom a dummy. What do you think of the one brother's hair? What's that guy's name? The, the older brother, the bully. Buzz. Buzz. Is his Buzz. name Buzz? Yes. Well, his hair is amazing. It's so solid and thick and shaped like a square. It's a perfect object. It's amazing. He has a... It looks like it was designed for headbutts. He looks like he gives a lot of headbutts. He has a a texture that I would describe more as like fur on top of his head rather than hair. Yeah. Both soft and plentiful, but hard. Perfect casting as bully. He says, yeah. Uh, We don't really... Yeah. we, We... In a way, we see enough of Buzz, but we don't see enough of Buzz because the the dichotomy between him and or and then also uh there's i think i don't the the kid who's the dorky kid who's hanging out with glasses in buzz's room that's just buzz's buddy this isn't part of the family either no he's not one so of the cousins like where so it's like when kevin is stomping around he's like there's yeah. so many people in this house it makes me sick i'm like i'm stomping around i'm like there's so many people in this house it's making me confused <laughs> i'm angry like kevin is where i'm like who are all these kids or that's Joe Pesci's Pish- gig at the beginning, yeah. too, where he's just like, what the, f- where the fuck are all these fucking kids here? Like, I know this mansion's big, but shit. This is three or four family units, each one with t- three-ish kids. Or it's like a, I mean, but then it's all their friends, too. So it's like a teen drop-in center yeah. as well. <laughs> or like, or again, the kid from across the street didn't hesitate to just like wander over and start rifling through a car. Absolutely. Yeah. No one seemed to have said that he, he, I guess he didn't take anything. He just inspected their stuff. No, he just felt really entitled to rifle through everything. <laughs> through a duffel bag in the back of the van. Do you think Catherine O'Hara is a good mom in the modern sense, considering she's obviously a dedicated mom? Do you think she could have avo- avoided a lot of problems by like maybe helping her children emotionally process their conflicts a little better? It was a different time, and it's funny because yeah. you don't remember that it's a different time. 
and you think like, oh, no, in the 90s, we were mostly listening to kids' feelings. But uh, Kate doesn't. Kate's got a lot on her plate and is maybe doesn't have as much time for Kevin's feelings. Or the idea is like Kevin's such a he's such a he's established as a real troublemaker. But in actuality, he's just like, I don't know, he's just says dumb things and he's a bit of he's a bit annoying like some eight year olds are. Yeah, that's true. He's, you know, they're rough on he's him. just like a little boy. I don't know. I guess that's what makes this movie like somewhat believable is just this is what families, especially big families, can easily be like. And it's easy to overlook the youngest. I guess he's not the youngest. The middle kid. Full is Fuller's the cousin. So he so I think out he's of the, the out of, of the immediate, immediate McAllister family, yeah. family of um <laughs> John Hurts and Kate's kids. Uh Kevin, I believe, is the youngest. So they arrive in I guess Marseille or Paris or whatever, and they realize I wanted to mention that another reason why they don't clock it until midway through the flight is because the kids are seated separately from That's the parents right. as well. Oh, they try so, so the hard the very to moment it. that Kate kind of gets a chance to be like, oh, I can't believe we made it. And she's doing the thing where she's spinning the wheels in her head trying to think about what all the shit that they forgot. Yeah. <laughs> because they left in a mad dash. I love that on the plane, how the one uncle and aunt are like, the uncle is insisting on drinking as much as he can because it's free bottomless champagne and all these other things. But like a flight from Chicago to Paris would be what, 12 hours or 16 hours or something? Well, like I mean, that? I'd, I'd assume you'd sleep on that flight. So it's like, yeah, maybe I, like if it was first class free champagne, I'd be like, give me quickly three or four glasses. So I hopefully, hopefully I'm in a I, coma. I a would love bit. to like drink enough champagne to get just so drunk and then, yeah, go into a coma over the flight. But you'd wake up probably with enough time to have a hangover before the flight was over. It yeah, there, I don't know enough about flying or time changes to know if they're, they were trying to leave pretty early in the morning i think and the clock got stopped at i think they slept until noon yeah which so seems bad if you're trying to make really an early bad. flight so but they made it so no one in this huge family woke up and it's like oh we gotta get going wow or who knows it could have been like the flight could have been 15 minutes away because this is a pre nsa yeah, time so true. they could just sail through the gate then they they finally clock that kevin's gone once they land they're in a they're in a panic for pretty much the entire remainder of the movie. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you think it's Kate's fault that they forgot Kevin? Kate's the mom, right? Yep. I don't think it's anyone's fault in particular. Like I don't think anyone needs to take total responsibility. Maybe the the daughter who is supposed to count everybody, but ultimately it's the parents who are going to be designating these responsibilities. These these set of you know brothers and in laws and sisters and in laws. Um, they are responsible for this as the parents, not Kate exclusively. But it's her kid. She needs to get back to him. Kind of, I guess is what I'm saying. Enough that I understand why she feels the need to go back and get her son. I was actually noting at a certain point that uh, the husband was being very supportive because she was just, you know, obviously stricken and devastated and worried about Kevin. But then it was just like, why is she? She's definitely bearing the burden of guilt. Both of these parents have forgot their child home alone, yeah. and it seems like her role is to feel as guilty and horrible about it as possible, yeah. and the husband's role, he doesn't really feel guilty about abandoning the kid. He's mostly just there in a capacity to be like, you're not a horrible mother, yeah. and for her to be like, I'm a horrible-ass mother. His job is to hold the dictionary, like the French-English dictionary that they use to talk to the authorities. He seems yeah. to be in charge of that, 
But you're right. It's largely up to the mom to sort through this. And to be fair, she, like I said, she's the one who disrupted the plan and like, you know, made Kevin sleep on a floor that he doesn't normally sleep on or full or no, actually, like he's the plan is for him to sleep up there. But then she's like, I'll send Fuller up in a little bit. And he's like, don't because of the bedwetting thing. Yeah. So in actuality, she knew that Kevin was supposed to be sleeping up there. So they didn't really disrupt the plan that much. No. But to be fair, neither of these parents clock that Kevin was not their youngest child was not with them running with them yeah. when they were running through the airport terminal was not in either oh they took two separate vans to the airport as well so there was there would have been if they were in one vehicle altogether yeah. or it wasn't separate yeah the idea is she would have noticed hey where's my most annoying child exactly yeah you notice annoying kids this, I, that's another thing kevin can't be that annoying <laughs> yeah if we've that's, yeah there. we've established that kevin's so obnoxious that the family's just like listen kevin we want to validate you and and have you be part of this family but you're just too annoying and awful and people can't control how they treat you <laughs> that's that's the thing that's been established in this movie and it's like okay well if kevin is that annoying i refuse to believe that anybody could survive a ride to the airport without yelling at him yeah or or maybe there was a scene that they shot that was everybody riding to the airport being like this is nice it's unusually yeah <laughs> it's unusually quiet and everybody or everyone's thinking why is this such a pleasant coast over to the chicago airport <laughs> <laughs> normally we're all bickering and screaming at each other or I would like to see them all fighting and, and bickering at each other because definitely Kevin is this uh, punching bag in the family. And you got to think when he's not around. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> these children have a crabs in the bucket effect and they're going after <laughs> each other. Absolutely. Kevin wakes up. Yep. He's alone. Yep. Well, I mean, it's there's we're supposed to believe that there might be a bit of magical realism in this movie because when he's he's calling his <laughs> he's calling Kate, his mom, a dummy. Yeah. And she's. And they, they have a very terse exchange yeah. where he where Kevin is saying eight year old things where he's like, like, you know, a no a, a rubber hose up your nose with this family. <laughs> uh, I don't. Everybody's pretty jerky to me, which yeah. is like, you know, accurate. <laughs> but he's getting the short end of the stick. Oh, another thing, actually, is uh, I think that a lot of people miss in this movie is that Kevin's I believe that Kevin's airline ticket. Yeah gets accidentally thrown in the garbage during the kitchen chaos scene where the, all the pop gets spilled. Really? Yeah. They thought so, of everything. Because that's, that's another hole that you would point out, right? Where it's that's like, well, right. they've got an extra ticket there. They only boarded with X amount of kids. Yeah. And they ha they would have had tickets for all of their kids, presumably. Or yeah. I'm assuming you need a ticket for an eight-year-old. What do you do? You, or do you fly free 10 and under? No. 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 Again, shows how much I know about flying. But there is a scene. It's pretty quick where yeah. dad has all of the big red Pizza Hut napkins and he's yeah. quickly sopping up. And I yeah. think one of the tickets goes in the garbage. Wow. So there you go. So, I mean, as much as you try to poke... Again, like they're doing they're doing a lot of overtime trying to establish like it is reasonable that they would leave this kid home alone. <laughs> I like that they say the name of the movie twice. Yeah, we get when they the first sister. get to Paris, the sister says we need to use the phone because our, our brother's home alone. Yeah. And then Pesci says it at one point. Pretty sure is the other time. I think one of the, one of the wet bandits points out. Well, he's just a little kid. And yeah. then Marv responds, nah, he's home alone. Yeah. So yeah, twice he, we get... He's with his family. Yep. Yeah, he's home alone. Yep. I, I said a rare twofer <laughs> in a movie when you get yeah. when you get the title of the movie twice. Yeah. 
That's what we call it in the biz, a twofer. A twofer. He's pretty stoked on being alone at first. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, well he, he doesn't even realize at first. You know what? Actually, and they did a good, I like this scene when Kevin wakes up and yeah. it's just slowly dawning on him. Yeah. Like, well, weren't we supposed to be leaving for a trip in the morning? And where is everybody? A little throwback to our previous episode. He pops on the TV and what should appear? But Miracle on 34th Street. That's yeah. on the TV. He turns on the TV and there we, it's the scene where. We're trying to sober up our drug Santa before the parade. Yeah. Uh, like a weird scene to open on. <laughs> like the, not the most heartwarming one from Miracle on 34th Street, but okay. I'm surprised Kevin didn't use any whips in this movie. That, that's a Christmas X Well, speaking there. of whips, once he realizes that he might be alone, he runs out to the garage and checks that both of the cars are still there. Right. Yeah. And this is the main piece of evidence <laughs> that Kevin uses in his head to be like, well, it's not that they went on this trip that I knew we were yeah. going on in the morning and they went without me. Yeah. Which does seem unreasonable, sure. But he jumps to the even less reasonable conclusion that he made his family disappear. He's Thanos. Because during that... Sorry? He's Thanos. That's the... Oh, that's so wonderful that you don't know who <laughs> Thanos is. Uh, our audience will definitely know who Thanos is and I'm because I'm sure it's a Marvel Universe thing for sure. It's a Thor thing, right? It's uh, from the Avengers. He's yeah. the one who makes half of everyone disappear. I don't know why I put so much uh, ha why I put so much mustard on it when I made a face at you like I, I don't have anything to say to that reference. I don't get that reference. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Any, literally anybody in our audience ship <laughs> will get that <laughs> reference and it doesn't matter that I I have no cultural press point for that and have nothing to say. Yeah, is there any other evidence that he ha that Kevin really has other than the cars before he jumps to the conclusion of uh, during that terse conversation where uh, no, Kate says they're not there. Why he, don't you go ahead and he wished it, <laughs> wish it again. And the cars are are still in the lot. He had no recollection that they were going to hire vans. That's it. That's all he needed. I to refuse be to believe that he's this an eight is eight year old. He's an idiot. I did write that. I was like, he's eight. <laughs> Yeah. given however i refuse to believe that this is the first time that this rich ass family has used a car service <laughs> so kevin must have some reference point for sometimes the cars get left at home because sometimes we're in a shuttle right that's a fair point mm, maybe not but maybe kevin doesn't realize it so he, he it slowly dawns on him that he's alone and then he starts really enjoying himself i like the scene where he goes into his brother's room and like opens up his bad boy trunk of like bad he boy stuff a, yeah <laughs> oh yeah like that he'll it's mostly stuff that he'll end up using later in the in the film like we find some firecrackers which yeah. are kind of like the gun on the mantle in the first act yeah so we're gonna except for the, the third act there's an actual gun on not a mantle but on the oh, wall yeah, yeah. <laughs> which thing is the gun on the mantle jess is it the firecrackers in the box or is it the actual literal gun on a mantle <laughs> Or hung on a wall, still a gun on display. So also there's the, yeah, the BB gun. We're going to see a BB gun later on in another iconic Christmas movie that we do plan on covering. And there's a BB gun in this one. So we're going to have to keep a sharpshooter eye out to see if we see other BB guns in Christmas movies. Absolutely. Yeah, to see if that's, if BB guns. We have department stores, Santa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are some themes of Christmas? Department stores and Santa. Family. Family. Whips. Whips. <laughs> there is... Uh, when he puts on the the bad boy movie, the, the old timey uh, movie that he's not allowed to watch, and he shouts out, "Watching, I'm watching junk and eating rubbish." Thought that would be a a real good alternative podcast title for this. 
watching junk and eating rubbish. Ooh, that could be a good name for our watching bad movies eating junk food podcast, yeah. which is... That sounds like a really good idea. I like that fake movie. I always like the lore and that movie that it was designed specifically for Home Alone. I definitely would have thought that was a real movie when I was a kid. Yeah, I um, did too. Actually, rewatching it as an adult, I, I had read the article uh, basically that it detailed uh, a couple years ago about how a couple of the behind the scenes thing and how that was a, a movie that was shot on old film yeah. stock to look old. I, I, it would have convinced me as an adult if I didn't know that. It was very well done. I think honestly, when he took out the machine gun and when he just like pumps him full of lead, I'm like, mm, that's a little Tarantino-y. That wouldn't that really had have a flown. Bit of, like, it felt like in the old, not to say that some of those old gangster movies aren't violent, but just the, yeah, the type of violence and the way it was, it, it enacted out. I was like, that might be a bit of a tell that this is a, because the whole like unloading a, a Tommy gun into people and laughing maniacally is a very Scarface scene. Yeah. So that would have been something that maybe we would have had to wait until the 70s to really see folding out like that as opposed to something. That would have been happening in a genuine 1940s or 50s movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, I it was far too violent for the time, I, I assumed. What are some things that if you found yourself home alone, you think you would have done as a kid? Definitely raiding the refrigerator. Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely watching things that I <laughs> shouldn't have been watching. <laughs> definitely. I think, yeah, like Kevin. Oh, when Kevin does the toboggan down the stairs. Yeah. That's something that I definitely would have tried and something that you shouldn't try <laughs> because Kevin executes it pretty uh, well in this instance. And anybody who is familiar with America's Funniest Home Videos or Fail Army knows that typically when you try to get yourself in a sled, get yourself on a mattress, get yourself in a laundry basket yeah. and attempt to scoot your butt down the stairs. There's uh, something that happens in physics where if you're heavy in the front, you kind of clip down too fast in the front. And as we've, again, seen in many of these fail videos, people tend to topple tail overhead and they don't tend to go smoothly down the stairs like Kevin did. No, you, you tend to land face first. So I, I wonder, actually, you were talking about, uh, you know, maybe kids would have a, a little bit of an inkling to maybe emulate some of the booby traps yeah. in this movie. I wonder how many kids also injured themselves trying to emulate the take your toboggan down the stairs. <laughs> Because that'll totally work, kids. Scene. I think I figured out what I would have done if I were home alone like Kevin. Yeah. It's a big house. I would have rented it out on Airbnb and made a lot of money. Right? Kevin wasn't thinking like uh, big enough, entrepreneurial you're, enough. You're in Chicago during the holiday season. I am sure a lot of people are looking for a place to stay. Rent that out for a holiday party. Yeah. It's, a, it's a beautiful house. It's very large. Absolutely. The attic was big. Also... On-site security. Did it strike you that the McAllister house was perhaps a little decorated for Christmas all year round? Like there were, like the house itself was de not, like it was decorated for Christmas, sure. But like in the bedroom especially, we had that like bright Christmas red uh, sheets and duvet cover. And there's kind of almost like a winter Christmas berry motif on the wallpaper. Mm. Kevin's uh, pajamas uh, are often in a red and green motif. Everything is very Christmassy and coordinated in the McAllister house in a way that is I just good, good to set design, but just not very like believable. I think they're just rich people. That's that was my assumption. That house yeah. is huge. That family is huge. What is what do they do? Like, how do they have money? I was I meant to I immediately thought that, and then I was like, pay attention, Jess. 
they're going to mention eventually what the dad does or you're going to figure it out and it never came to me and i don't i don't know if there's if eagle eye viewers would catch it what the dad does important job in paris important I mean, job in paris would it affect your opinion or how you how you feel about this movie at all no i've already established that it doesn't matter what matters is that kevin is home alone and that he has the legal right to defend his property so other than i we already established that the wet bandits initial scam miola to go house to house in the cops outfit was pretty clever do we think they're good thieves are they competent thieves we yeah like this initial beginning scheme seems pretty clever and then we kind of get to know the wet bandits a little bit more and they don't maybe seem as clever because another thing that they do is seem to hit the same neighborhood night after night after night and spend a lot of time in their creeper van driving around very slowly and suspiciously uh so (laughs) any sort of being covert or being sly and sneaky that they did at the beginning i feel the i guess the whole idea is that the whole like the whole block has gone on vacation for christmas yeah that that we have almost like a mad max style post-apocalyptic thing where it's just like every family (laughs) has disappeared and Kevin is one of the only people we ever see walking in this neighborhood or yeah. existing in this neighborhood. Uh, definitely all this, the houses that are supposed to be surrounding the McAllister house, all the families have left because we have that scene with, is it Marvin Harry? Harry? Marv and, yeah, in my mind he's Joe Pesci. I don't have another name for him. Uh, Harry. Harry. So we have a scene where Harry uh, is pointing out to Marv that all the Christmas lights are on timers. Right. And he's giving the times where all, like, they all come in, like, it's like, well, basically, what, are they parked there around seven? So they all come on around seven. You can just <laughs> say that. Like, they're all, because, I mean, some people, yeah, program them for probably, like, if you overshot it to, like, 7.02, you're not going to bother to go back. Yeah. He's being a show-off and being, like, I know when each, to the to the second, I know when each of these uh, automatic lights is going to come on. In that sense, they're competent. But why does... Harry put up with Marv's idiocy, especially with his his signature way where he leaves the water this running. This is where the wet bandits the get their name. The wet bandits, yeah, they're called that because they leave the water running in the taps and flood the houses. Why does Harry put up with that? He like doesn't like. He's pretty pissed. Like in the, <laughs> there's a scene where he's like, "Did you did it, didn't you?" And he's pissed, and I, he's like, "You're sick," and I agree. Like it's true. Like. I can understand robbery. I can understand, you know, home invasion to a certain extent. But then it's a very insult to injury to flood someone's property yeah. after you've robbed it. It is like it is kind of a it's 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 it's, it's po- pointless and sadistic. You're only doing it to further hurt people. So I like that. Uh, uh, Harry calls Marv sick because he is. He's a <laughs> sicko. He's a sick ticket. I figured that Harry put up with it because Marv had to own the van that they used to scope out the uh, the, t- the street. The plumbing service van that they use for their undercover. The wet service. bandits drive a plumbing service right. van. Yeah. And I guess maybe like Harry used to be a in a before a bad economic downturn in Chicago, I guess maybe he used to be a plumber or they used to be plumbers. Did you notice the name of the plumbing company? No, what was it? Okay plumbing. Just <laughs> O-O-K? O-H-K-A-Y, I believe. Just okay. Just okay. (laughs) When you're all right with two flushes. Just okay. 
Where it's like when your water pressure is just like, yeah, hmm. when you only need a trickle. <laughs> like you said, Kevin's having a ball right at the beginning. He's eating the junk food. He's eating a sundae that looks um, so good. You think good? I was like pretty melty and made me feel maybe a little <laughs> nauseous looking at. I don't mind a little sundae soup. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of slurpy slurp from mm. the bottom of the bowl. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say Kevin, he... I, I nudged you during the movie too, and mm. I'm like, how long has he been home alone for? We don't like I how how long is it before, in total, how much time do you think Kevin is spending actually alone before his mom comes home? A couple days, I think. It's like two to two, two maybe two two days. full days, and then she comes home on Christmas Day. So he's yeah, it's Christmas Day. Yeah. When so Kevin makes arrives. it two nights, two full nights home yeah. alone. Yeah. Do you think the, he would have lasted two nights alone at eight years old? Fighting off deadly criminals. That's that's a two-part question, and <laughs> the answer is yes to the first part, so no to the second part, mm. probably. How do you think... So, Catherine O'Hara, as the mom, is the second... I guess the third mom we've seen in our series of Christmas films. Mm-hmm. How do you think she stacks up compared to other moms we've met? Out of the gate, she's not a very caring mom, but then she, you know, just racks herself with guilt after leaving Kevin at home. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to love her. Like, it's like, I love a woman who racks herself with guilt as a way of atoning for being horrible. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a signature move of mine. Be horrible, feel guilty later. Make up for it. And have extreme expressions of that guilt. <laughs> Is she a better mom or a worse mom than Kirstie Alley? I don't know. Mo- Molly, Molly's a pretty good mom. I have a soft spot for Molly as a mom. Molly's determined to save Christmas at all costs. Yeah. And it's funny. Yeah. Like John Hurd's pretty supportive in that. Uh, I was like, it's pretty nice of him to not ever point out like you kind of ruined Christmas, Kate. <laughs> like you kind of, you know, because everybody even they're try- like, I mean, nobody can celebrate Christmas. Yeah. Now that they're, you know, the kids are pretty or the kids are having a rare moment when we cut to them later and we see them in this beautiful <laughs> Mersai. Yeah apartment building <laughs> oh where it's God, like the yeah. the kids are finally or no i was about to say we cut to his siblings finally saying the first nice things that we ever hear about kevin but they're not they're just like he's so helpless that's he's right they can't stop insulting him even when he's not there yeah even when they're he's concerned about his well-being they're like oh i'm so worried for my brother he's just so pathetic you know what else we missed the first encounter we have with the neighbor the creepy shoveling neighbor oh yeah who, well we did or we the refer- second yeah. encounter actually um, the South Bend Shovel Slayer. This is kind of a morbid thing, and maybe my true crime podcast obsession is showing, but when he mentioned that he's bringing around this bucket of salt, and Buzz gives the detail, that's where he hides the bodies. I'm yeah. like, no body's going to fit in that little bucket of salt. Like, even if he chopped it up. Like, yeah. not to be that guy, but it wouldn't. You would have to make several trips. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like one of those, he prefers to dissolve the body parts in, in pieces <laughs> instead of in one big... Well, he's an old man. He can't carry around a big, you know, big salt bucket, right? He's just got to have the mini. I think they had to have hired the actor who plays the shovel man because of his thousand yard stare is incredible. He's incredibly creepy and convincing as uh, uh, the shovel slayer at first. It's weird. He has piercing blue eyes. Yeah. He has a white beard. True. He's not pudgy. He's pretty lean. Mm -hmm. But he has kind of some of the visual trappings of Santa. That's fair. But we don't get a Santa vibe from this character at all. No. And, and it's a Christmas movie, so we're primed and prepped and looking for Santas. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's definitely. As soon as you start watching a Christmas movie, you're looking for like an authoritative old man to help you out. 
and you see this guy and it's yeah, very I'm, jarring. I'm immediately Santa spotting. Yeah. You know me. Like that was like me and Miracle in 34th Street when I just saw a guy walking down the street with a gray coat and a fedora. And exactly. I'm like, Santa? Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be Santa. <laughs> when Kevin goes to see Santa to ask for his family back, actually, it, it sets the, he says the same thing that we see in look who's talking now Mm -hmm. and that molly tries to explain that this is not the real santa but this is more of like a den santa yeah like i i wrote down that there is a santa's got den santas he's got like that these fake santas at the mall are like santa's agents representatives and that's and kevin says that very authoritatively to the santa that he meets who's like pretty big he's one of the worst santas he's just an abysmal santa let's just say it yeah uh bottom of the list and he's like i know that you i know you're not the guy but you work for the guy right or no he doesn't know he says very authoritatively he says i know you're not the guy but i know you work for the guy that's right yeah yeah there's this process where kids kind of like slowly come out of their belief in santa first they believe in santa and they believe the mall Santa is Santa. But then, yeah, they start to believe that the mall Santa is a representative of Santa. And there's this middle step before absolute incredulity about Santa where you have the, yeah, the the Santa's helper. It's idea. the, yeah, it's the like stepping stone belief. You can't give it up all at once. No. <laughs> In that scene when Kevin is talking to that Santa and he's just like, listen, for Christmas, I just want my family back. Do you think that Santa was thinking, oh, my God, they're dead. What uh, happened yeah. to this kid's family? I just want my family back. What happened? When did this eight-year-old's just wandering around yeah. at night by himself. And it's like, this Santa's very just like, uh, yeah, sure, uh, kid, that's a weird wish. Anyway, you want a candy cane? Like, he's not There's a few concerned bothered by this <laughs> very uh, upsetting one-story, one one-line one horror story Christmas request. The only woman who seems concerned about Kevin is the clerk at the grocery store. She's d- definitely on it. Like she's she's questioning eyebrowing. him and seems to not believe his story, but doesn't seem willing to push further than that. So she just kind of asks him a few pointed questions. Doesn't believe him, but she doesn't, you know, follow up. No one calls CAS. No one calls children's services in this film. He says, my mom's in the car. Yeah. You think I'd be here alone? Yeah. Yeah. That's enough for her, I guess. He's really convincing. A real good child actor, obviously, in this film. That's why it lasts so long. Uh, You're going to see a lot. I think Christmas movies are when child actors get really too thrive more yeah you could, i wonder if child actors kind of wait around all year for the casting for the christmas movies because it's just like here's my shot yeah. we don't we don't do a lot of we don't do as many summer movies with kids anymore but but it's like family movies you need kiddos for those kevin walks to go see this santa at a little like kind of cute little santa hut that's sort of like a neighborhood santa cottage or i guess it's maybe a um a winter market or a christmas market maybe. i guess because it's a it's a weird sort of outdoor because we've seen Santa, uh, we're going to see, we've seen Santa department store. Yeah. We're going to probably see a Santa in a mall. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time we've seen maybe a Santa's village Santa. Like an outdoor Santa. <laughs> you think, yeah. It's like a- we've seen indoor Santas. Now we've seen outdoor Santas. Oh, rare, or rare open air Santa. <laughs> uh, so he walks to this. Kevin also, I wrote down, walks to a corner, sh- corner shop pharmacy. Yep. He walks to a church, yep. a beautiful church. Yep. Uh, I feel like in Chicago, that's probably a, fam- a famous church. Uh, he walks to a skating rink or passes by a skating rink uh-huh. and a grocery store. This really uh, talks about the, this makes a point 
for the walkability of the Chicago neighborhood. I was thinking that too. Great yeah. urban planning in whatever neighborhood yeah. of Chicago this is. Yeah, this uh, Kevin has to cross over a train, I think, <laughs> yeah. to get to the little part of town. But yeah. whatever, uh, he's we we do just see Kevin on foot. That's how he's getting around. Absolutely. So that's yeah. Uh, keep walkability in mind and protect the pedestrian. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking about the wet bandits a little bit more and about their calling card with the the wet or with the flooding. And I was wondering what your calling card would be. If I were a cat burglar? Yeah. What would be the... I was like, well, I guess it doesn't have to be property destruction. What would be the ad- additional sadistic property stru- destruction <laughs> that would be completely unnecessary that I would leave in my wake? Uh... <laughs> Maybe an apology note. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe a fruit basket, like a sorry Dear or victims. A, uh, yeah, a little note, a little note on a fruit basket that says it was the economy. Sorry, <laughs> <Nothing personal. laughs> Did you? Were you thinking about it? Would you have a calling hmm. card? I'd make their beds. It'd be Mister Neat. What if you got into the house and the beds were already made? I'd destroy their house. I would rip everything up. <laughs> <laughs> If they're clean, I mess it up. And if they're messy, I clean them up. I, w- I hope that would be enough of a pattern that they would come up with some obtuse name for you where it's like the, <laughs> if you're good and make your bed, Robert burn not won't burn your house down. Ro- or if you're good to make your bed, I'll burn your house down, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Kevin is only really adulting for about a day before he gets pretty overwhelmed or or on that very first night harry and marv come to rob the place yeah and he's like oh shit and like dashes under the bed (laughs) or turns the light on that was quick thinking i thought yeah or he runs around just turning on every light in the house and i'm trying to think if i was ever i'm trying to think when i was home alone as a kid if i heard a noise i wouldn't be running around turning lights on if i heard a noise i would just freeze yeah (laughs) probably just frozen waiting for additional noises of doom just wait to be killed yeah pretty much uh but yeah he goes around just turning all the lights on in the house to i guess if you're little and eight that's the only way to be like oh there's lots of people in this house <laughs> right or on a short notice uh because he does make it look like there's a lot of people in this house a little bit later on yeah yeah oh that's true i guess that must be three nights then because there's uh that's the second night when harry and marv take a pass and Kevin is upgraded from his running around frantically turning on lights to right. having this uh, full fakeroo party. Yeah, uh, in full swing on the first floor. There is some times where it's a little hard to believe the technical proficiency of Kevin. I think this really is dependent on the the opacity of these curtains. <laughs> like if they're, these curtains are pretty sheer. It's a good thing that the basement of this house was full of useful junk that they could use. Or to he's lucky that yeah. Or that's true. Yeah. Equip the house with. Yeah. Or it's like the McAllister house has a pretty decked out attic and a pretty decked out basement. Yeah. So Kevin's got a lot of stuff to forage for. Uh, I guess it's like, or that's that Harry and Marv finally clue in that they're creepers. Cause in that scene, they're like, oh, well, let's not, let's come on, let's keep driving. People are going to see us. And it's like, <laughs> now you're concerned because they definitely have a scene where they encounter Kevin on the road Yeah, and they nearly hit him. Yeah. And <laughs> Harry insists like, oh, that kid looked at me funny. And it's like, you're two creepers in a van. Yeah. yeah. Like I'll bet. <laughs> That kid's looking at you funny. And then they start slowly, ominously driving behind him. And it's like, yeah, be more creepy. There you go. Good yeah. sound strategy. The wet bandits prove themselves not to be very competent criminals, it turns out. They fluctuate. They seem at times to have a bit of intelligence and then other times are not really are not really on the ball. You know how they talk about how, you know, 
Scully and X-Files, for instance, inspired a lot of young women to get into STEM and become scientists. Yeah, forensics. Yeah. And Do you think Kevin McAllister inspired a lot of people to become like makers? You, you I thought you so were going to say home security. But home no, yeah. security. <laughs> Did he inspire a lot of mall cops? I think he inspired a lot of siblings to lay booby traps for each other. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. he most likely inspired booby trap laying children. Yeah. I actually wrote down Joe Pesci's exact quote. I knew he looked at me funny. Why would he run? <laughs> it's like, you're two, again, you're two creepers in a van <laughs> slowly inching towards him ominously on a on an empty street. <laughs> he knows you're creepy. Yeah, newsflash, you are two creeps in a van. Yeah, they're hitting all these uh, houses on the same block. No wonder they eventually get caught. This van is on the street every day. <laughs> or at this point, this van would not be considered a suspicious van in this neighborhood because it's like, yeah, I see this van every fucking day <laughs> <laughs> creeping around slowly, chasing children around my neighborhood. Yeah, it's just okay plumbing. They're regular. We know they're fine. They're a-okay. When Kate finally gets to Paris and uh, gets to make that phone call yeah. to the police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do send a cop to the door. Yep. Again, hey, the evidence is uh, adding up that uh, Kevin's ACAB. He at least knows not to open the door for the police. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, he refuses to. Honestly, the logic of him not wanting to answer. I guess he doesn't think they're actually police officers because he thinks it's Joe Pesky again. He already knows that there are crooked cops in disguise. Yeah. Right? That he thinks this is just going to be one of Joe Pesci's buddies. Yeah. And, and is dressed in the same cop uniform. So, no, I ain't opening the door for you, pig. Do you remember when he orders the pizza and he, the pizza guy comes over and delivers the pizza and he uses the audio from the like, parody video? Yeah. yeah, like the fake, the fake gangster movie. The fake movie. noir gangster movie. Angels with. Filthy Souls, yeah. which is supposed to be a parody of, Ange I think, Angels with Dirty Faces. It's like not only is Kevin uh, an expert with tools and, and can create all these elaborate traps, but he's also an audiovisual expert. He, yeah. <laughs> he's <laughs> so cruel to this pizza guy who, who he has the money to pay the pizza delivery guy. Right. Oh, yeah. No, it's fine. It's just or it, well, it's just that this just occurred to Kevin because this is the only adult voice that he has access to, I guess, yeah. to like convince where it's like, I think or again, like he was fine being an eight year old grocery shopping. Yeah. But not like I, I'm sure. Lot like I don't know. Parents, right? And do you do you send your eight year old to the door to go pay the pizza guy? Parents love yeah. putting money in their little kid's hand and They're, sending them you, to go interact with the service person. I've seen this happen where it's like, give the girl the money. I've seen this happen a million times. So you'd almost think that if a pizza boy opened a, like a fancy mansion and this eight year old paid him, that like this kid, this kid pizza boy would think nothing of it. Yeah. But Kevin. I think that's just Kevin doesn't want to for how much Kevin thinks that he made his family disappear. He's acting really guilty like he killed them. Like he doesn't want to get caught. Yeah. Like, well, he does think he killed them. Is that right? it's like, yeah, is Kevin acting this way because he thinks that he's going to get prosecuted for the uh, oh, for, for wishing his family absolutely. away? He needs to cover it up. He's covering his tracks. Uh, I wanted to say also, like you said, the, Kevin has to be pretty good with the stops and starts on the little remote in mm. order for this uh, pizza guy scene to work. Uh, you've been doing more edit, more audio editing in the past few days than you've ever done in your little lifetime. Uh, yeah. So how I just wanted you to rate that scene on how likely an eight-year-old would be able to <laughs> rewind and fast forward and make these lines come out, con you know, at a convincing. I'm trying to imagine editing this podcast on a VCR. It would be tough. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know how he manages to do it so effectively, but he sure does. And it's a, I wanted to note also, it's a VHS copy. Uh, depending on your age, you might not, not know, uh, be too familiar with VHS as a format. 
it didn't have the best audio quality no. typically, but anybody who he's playing these audio clips for is dead convinced that this is a real person yeah. talking to them. <laughs> so the audio on this old VHS must be just primo. It's one of those HD VHSs. Yeah, they almost should have uh, shown Kevin with the laser disc because it's like then I'd maybe believe that the especially because when the gunshots start going off and the pizza guy is just tearing it because he's convinced that he's getting shot at i was like gunshots on a vhs sound like farts like it just sound like (laughs) they don't sound like anything i don't think you would be convinced that somebody's genuinely firing out a back door at you with a tommy gun just saying what a miss for this movie not to endorse laser discs yeah the huge miss on not like you like uh, look, he's talking. Look, he's talking to. Uh, in Home Alone Two, Lost yeah. in New York, yeah, specifically, yeah, yeah. they make a cameo for the talk boy so that they can market it. So I, the the product placement and the tech marketing is present in the second movie. So it's like, yep, yeah, golden opportunity to not put laser discs in the first one. I feel dumb if laser discs weren't out in 1990. <laughs> I feel like they were. I feel like Home Alone was a big title on Laserdisc, actually. So I feel like my format dating can't be that far off i'm glad that this podcast has turned into a out yeah, welcome to our podcast on next outdated episode formats. beta kevin suffers two two to three two to three near home invasions in in so many days yeah and he's a quickly learning that being an adult by yourself is only really fun for about one or two days yep. before shit starts getting real once you start having to paying for the ice cream it gets a little bit hard yeah he quickly loses his enthusiasm and that is so realistic to life yeah when i first ventured out on my own and then when the first bad thing happened i was like oh my god i want my mommy (laughs) exactly kevin's just learning things at eight that we learned when we were you know 18 19 can i ask you something about the aftershave scene sure um i was under the impression that aftershave only really burned your face if you had cut yourself while shaving. I think that, I thought that was true myself. Maybe he had little cuts that we didn't really see. You don't see them though. Did we see Kevin shave? I don't recall. <laughs> I don't think I can I don't really think recall. we saw Kevin shave. I think we saw, we saw him brushing his hair. He's running a comb through his hair. Yeah. We see him uh, doing a little Bing Crosby impression. Yeah. using the comb as a little microphone. He's given a Ferris Bueller style speech to the mirror and to us sort of as the audience. And I don't think we saw, but he's, and he's got the towel around his waist and he's talking about how he just got out of the shower. I don't think we saw him shave. Like he's, he's going through the motions of being the man of the house. So he's, I, I think it has nothing to do with shaving. Yeah. He's putting the aftershave on his face. I think the scream is fake because he sees his dad do it. Maybe. I really don't know. I know it's it's super cute though. I don't. I never used aftershave when after shaving. That wasn't really part of my. So shaving you've never experience. given the old. Well, you don't. You've got a beard, so yeah, you don't I don't shave, shave very often anyway. But even when I used to, but you more never often, hit it with no. the old aqua velva. No. <laughs> you throw some maybe some moisturizer on there, but well, aftershave is also primarily just alcohol, which is a why it burns, and b it seems like after you've shaved and stripped all the natural moisture on your face, that's what you want to do, putting astringent on. Sounds good to me. It's I think that's why aftershave is not a thing anymore mm. because it's uh, not maybe the, the most ideal thing for men to be doing to their skin. <laughs> I wanted to say we already talked a little bit about Kevin becomes unenthusiastic about this thing and uh, about living alone. 
I wrote Kevin has experienced what a lot of us don't figure out until we're in our 20s, how to do laundry, how to grocery shop, and how to make improvised weaponry. <laughs> a skill that's becoming more viable by the day, unfortunately, for today's youth. Right. Uh, yeah, no, the scene with Kevin doing laundry, it's funny because, like, I guess, like, this is supposed to be the whole thing. We've established Kevin's useless and incompetent. He can't pack a suitcase at the yeah. beginning of the movie when we see him. Or he literally, his mom suggests to him, why don't you go pack your suitcase? And he literally has a, we have a, a quick pan in to his face of his terror, a quick terror <laughs> shot. Yeah. Because he literally cannot even fathom what packing a suitcase would entail. Yeah. Uh, and then we cut to him doing laundry, which is something, honestly, I don't think I learned to do until I was like 13, 14, <laughs> to be real. Honestly, I do it, but I'm still not sure I do it right. I, you know what? I feel like so many TV shows where, you know, the classic scene where somebody Fs up the laundry and they pull out the sweater and it's teeny tiny, like a doll sweater, yeah. or they've, you know, got bleach everywhere and they've spilled everything. I got it in my head on laundry is so easy to mess up. <laughs> laundry is actually easy to mess up. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's where it's, I'm sure, you know, Kevin's eight and he's doing a good job or whatever. It's like, or with washing, you know, kids' denims and sweaters and stuff, you can just kind of huck it all in there as one big mess. But uh, we we make fun of children for not knowing to do laundry, but I'm, full disclosure, I'm a grown-ass adult and I fuck up the laundry hard sometimes. (laughs) Like, everybody does, right? Like, everybody forgets to put their bra in a bra bag and then it gets all tangled up in a sheet and... (laughs) Or you forget to zip the duvet and then your most uh, heavy woolen socks don't get dry because they're trapped in the duvet and cannot be released into the larger space of the dryer to dry. Everybody does this, right? This happens to everyone. Everyone's laundry has like a sopping wet core with this really hot outside uh, exterior of the ball of laundry after going through the dryer, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh God, I put it in the dryer and it just came out hot and wet. (laughs) So... I want to get to the part where the mom hustles her way to the United States, lands in Scranton, Pennsylvania, home of, of course, the office, home of Joe Biden. Old Joe from Scranton? I think so. I didn't know that, actually. I think that's why he won Pennsylvania. And that's where the mom meets John Candy's character while she is flipping out at a car rental place and she encounters John Candy. Do we love John Candy because we're Canadian or do we love John Candy because John Candy? We love John Candy because he's John Candy. We love John Candy because he's so funny and charming and likable. He's amazing Mm. and he's so good in this video. He is sweet as syrup in this movie. He's so good. When I see him, I'm just so happy like not that this movie was bumming me out or wasn't really or it's just like oh or it's like or again if this if this movie is that dripping delicious soupy sundae then john candy is this beautiful shiny red cherry on the top of it absolutely yeah uh he introduces himself as the polka king of the midwest (laughs) yeah uh, and this has got to be a nod to uh, his S- his SCTV Schmengi character, right? I absolutely have yeah. to be the he, what he did with um with Mr. Eugene Levy. Yeah, with Eugene Levy. That's right. A Mr. Eugene Levy who's enjoying quite a bit of success with Schitt's Creek uh, with our other star here, Catherine O'Hara. That's right. SCTV alumni. Alumni. I would be really curious to know if the kids today know about SCTV. If you don't, you should. Yeah. Definitely or, YouTube uh, that. If, if you are somebody who is a Schitt's Creek person, 
don't feel ashamed if you don't know that Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara go way, 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 way back. Yeah. And the, oh, actually, well, the good news is if you enjoy watch, if you only know Shit's Creek, you enjoy watching this couple do their thing together. I have very good news for you. <laughs> there is a back catalog of watching these two interact that goes way, way back. Hours. <laughs> hours and hours of them doing stuff together on SCD, SCTV. Of them doing movies together. I would have liked to see like a whole movie about John Candy's character and the what were the 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 Kenosha Kickers? That was the name yeah, of his band. His yeah, band. like like kind of like directed by like Christopher Kensington, like a Best in Show style documentary about them. Oh, wouldn't that just have been wonderful? Yeah, I want a mockumentary on the Kenosha Kickers. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if you could put that together with some like good archival footage of uh, John Candy. If you could get some of the SCTV alum together to do a kind of a memorial, <laughs> a joke memorial. I l- I like when he's uh, trying to, <laughs> or like Kate is just so like holding pattern happy that he's saying like yeah no we're on our way and we can give you a ride and blah 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 but he's also trying to explain his polka career because yeah. he's like for sure you're gonna recognize some of these songs yeah. and her response is or he's like you know like polka 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 the kiss me polka <laughs> yeah. and i love her response she's like these are songs it's not judgmental it's a real question <laughs> she's <laughs> unsure i like when he's like passing the clarinet to her in the truck when they're all in together when they're all in the in the u-haul together traveling to chicago and he passes her his clarinet like it's a doobie basically he's like here you want a hit of my polka <laughs> she's like no it's the gateway drug to klezmer i can't do that i assume that much polka in an enclosed space maybe would give you a bit of a headache after uh after a time but they sound good they are an amazing polka band yep best he's the poker king of the midwest what do you expect i mean also it's just proof that she she's the one who feels the most guilt or feels the most culpability for leaving kevin home alone because she's the one who volunteers to take this trip back to stay at the airport and wait on standby yeah wait for a flight to open up and that when it doesn't happen that's how she ends up in the semi uh with the back uh with the with the kenosha kickers she bribes a couple to get on the plane that's how she gets on the standby flight. Yeah, or she doesn't make it on standby, and that's why she's got to bribe this couple. That's right. Yeah, yeah and then she's in Scranton, meets the kickers, and they're off in their U-Haul. And then I also like this. I think this whole scene where Catherine O'Hara, Catherine O'Hara's character travels by different modes of transportation has to be somewhat of a reference to planes, trains, and automobiles. Another John Candy, John Hughes flick, right? Is now the time to tell the audience that we have a lost episode. <laughs> a lost episode of, of Eel Podcaster. I yeah. We have a planes, trains, and automobiles uh, ab- abandoned lost episode. That's the, the very first one we ever tried to record. Yep. It's not abandoned and lost. It's unfinished. Yeah. It's unedited and unfinished, which is not the same as lost. We got two thirds of the way through, but had to. Um, we even recorded the last part of it, but I forgot to hit the record button. <laughs> Technical pro- technical issues. So we talked about happen. the movie. We just had a fucking conversation. You know what? Okay. It. You know what? Uh, we'll take a little breakaroo after the holidays. Yeah. And if there's any interest in it or people say that they want to hear it, you know what? We'll, we'll, after the holidays, maybe on Boxing Day, we'll record the end of yeah. our, we'll re-record the end of our Planes, Trains, and Automobiles episode. And that'll be some special content that we can release after the holidays. <laughs> Bonus content. A bonus, a uh, Christmas bonus, if you will. Yeah. A physical manifestation of my gratitude, if you will. 
while the mom is booking it to Chicago, while the family is, I guess, waiting to get to sh- back to the United States, shall we talk about like the sh- the siege of Kevin's house? We see Kevin preparing for the siege in a yeah. montage that I really like. Like I remember really enjoying that when I was, or it's just like that really amps us up for the second half of the movie. Yeah, uh, the tonal shift to our violent slapstick in the siege of Kevin of the siege of the clan McAllister house. Kevin has uh, some pretty elaborate preparation rituals. He, yeah. he, we see the scene where he goes to Santa to ask for his family back. Yeah. I think also he goes into the church. Yeah, that's right. To I kind of maybe, and it's funny, like he's asked Santa for his family back, but I yeah. think he's also going to give a little prayer up to God and cover his bases and make sure that he asks both higher powers. Absolutely. To make sure, because he's like, okay, I did really F up. I do need my family back, actually. I'm eight. <laughs> what an, yeah, what an opulent church, eh? Oh, it We was... really get a very good look at it in, in this scene where he's walking around. Like, I get, we should look it up. This has got to be a real church in Chicago. It's just, I imagine so. wow. We are five Christmas movies in, and I'm pretty sure this is our first church that we've is seen. Is it? We have to, I guess, the, you know what? When they say that we've taken the Christ out of Christmas, sometimes they got a point. <laughs> Because uh, <laughs> we're talking a lot about faith in Santa Claus and we're not seeing a lot of we've seen Kevin uh, disrespect a nativity scene by hiding <laughs> in it. <laughs> like, well, I mean, not disrespect, but cosplay within it. And yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. This is the first church that we've seen. And it's at the church that the the South Bend's shovel slayer uh, turns out he's nice. He sees the Slayer during the toothbrush scene as well. So but he's still scary because he turns still, him he still into got the stare, the scary stare. I don't know whether Kevin thinks that he's going to get shoveled he's by this guy shoveled. in broad daylight in a yeah. store. But he seems a little bit like, well, I mean, you know what? I believe that this guy would shovel me to death in front of a store clerk in broad daylight in a little village town. Yeah. But I don't believe he'll shovel me to death in a church. So I'm safe. <laughs> Is that why he's a little more receptive to talk to his his elderly neighbor here. Well, when the the South Bend shovel slayer comes up to him and smiles, his face just transforms from this scary grimace into such a gentle old man. Like you can't blame Kevin for being scared. It's not like this old man's friendly to him. He like basically slaps his hand on the counter in the store and like yeah, like glare glares at him. Yeah, and his and <laughs> All he ever does otherwise is like seemingly shovel his walkway in his big scary boots. He looks scary. He just looks around scarily and shovels. So no wonder the kids are frightened of him. He's got an aura. He says something like <laughs> menacing aura. He says something in the church like, "Like you shouldn't believe the things that people say about me. Why shouldn't we?" <laughs> I wrote down, so the neighborhood, he's aware that the neighborhood thinks he's a serial killer then. Yeah. So he's uh, he's aware of what the rumors are, and he still carries himself. Like, that's still his demeanor when he goes around. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no wonder. Yeah, maybe you should People shouldn't... think that you're the menacing neighborhood figure. Maybe you shouldn't stare at people unblinkingly if you don't want them to think that. Yeah, try blinking. Try blinking. You want people to think you're a, a, a normal. Uh, the speech that uh, like it's a touching moment it's between so touching. the two of them. Uh, the, tough time to be a little boy in 1990. You get beat up for dinosaur pajamas or yeah. a sweater with a bird on it. <laughs> it was rough back then, I guess. Or is is it just is it just that this is like a kind of cr- crappy prep school neighborhood, or or all the kids at school are just as mean as Kevin's siblings and cousins? I guess they're just very the critical. writers. Whoever wrote this movie assumes the kids are really cruel. Or I guess it kind of explains Kevin's beautiful 
uh, Christmas pa- coordinating Christmas pajamas and bathrobe set. Yeah. You know, if you get caught in some <laughs> bougie dinosaur pajamas, you're gonna get your ass kicked true. in this neighborhood. Those aren't LL Bean. <laughs> Those aren't LL Bean. Kevin's winter jacket is like kind of my ideal adult winter jacket. Yeah. It's got yeah. It's, I didn't notice it. It's kind of a camely cover color, but it's got a cute little zip hood. Uh, with a plaid lining and ooh. I was just thinking like ooh, that's kind of just like a good classic and he's got the coordinating toque and scarf yeah. in the burgundy and taupe yeah yeah I think uh anybody of any age would look good <laughs> in <laughs> Kevin's Christmas outfits anybody of any age and any gender could take fashion tips from Kevin McAllister <laughs> what's your guess for the super hot thing that Kevin puts on the doorknob Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk about some of the traps and and stuff. So one of the things he does, one of the cruelest and most painful things he does is he superheats the doorknobs with this bizarre heated hook that he hangs on the doorknob. I don't know what it is. Write it and tell us. It's a superheated hook, like a hook, or it's like a circle. It almost looks like a utility light, but it's literally just a... I wonder if it's for heat slicing something or like cutting through something that's but what would you be cutting through i don't know it's a puzzle i was gonna guess like i guess originally when i was a kid i maybe thought it was a bed warmer Mm. but when you're looking at how red hot that is it's like well that would spontaneously catch a mattress on fire so that's not what (laughs) it is it's so hot Now's maybe a good time to mention that when I was a kid, I had a Home Alone board game. Oh, really? There is more than one Home Alone board game, but the one that I had, the premise of the board game was that you could either play as Kevin or the Wet Bandits. Wow. And part and the gameplay board yeah. was the McAllister House and Yard. Yeah. And it featured the house and the treehouse. And part of the setup of the game was to lay little tiles that were different traps. Or you would play as the wet bandits and you would go through the house and sometimes you would find jewels or money or cash. And then other times you would find booby traps. Wow, that's a pretty cool, like, uh, like asynchronous kind of gameplay. The setup to the game was quite complicated. Yeah, asymmetrical. This would have been in and around the time, like a couple years after the movie came out. Yeah. This would have been a pre a time where people were that excited about shit like Settlers of Catan and blah, blah, blah. So people were not into a board game that would have required this much setup or mm. this much setup was unusual for a board game at the time. So I distinctly remember my parents refused to play with me and hated <laughs> it. <laughs> And I really thought it was a neat board game and really just like was like would always bug my parents to play it. I don't think it played well with two people. I think it played ideally well with three people because you would have someone playing as Kevin against the two wet bandits. Or you could have one player playing as Kevin and the other playing as both of the wet bandits. I both Harry and it. Marv. We should see if it's in our Christmas budget to uh, clickety clack onto eBay and maybe <laughs> see you if we can a get copy? a copy of this board game. Yeah. Or... Uh, I guess everybody before they should do that should maybe get their mom on the horn and see if they can go check their Kevin McCall if you if you, if indeed your mom has a, Ke- a McAllister style house a McAllister house style expansive attic and basement perhaps yeah. your mom still has all your old yeah <laughs> board games <laughs> so maybe I should get my mom on the horn and just see if if she still has it. I feel like because both of my parents refused to play that game, if my mom saw that game, she'd be like goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> it would have definitely yeah, good- goodwill binned it. It's in the dump. Yeah. <laughs> My mom does not have as good skills uh, of guessing what's going to be worth 30 to $50 Canadian on eBay in the future. And I feel like if we 
hop onto eBay, that's that's what the price point of this board game is going to be. So it's, I feel like I had a few things that were wildly unpopular board games in my household due to the <laughs> complexity of play. So they would have been in mint condition. Oh, what a shame. Yeah. I remember the Home Alone video game. Of course. What console would that video game have been for? If it's 90, it would have been SNES? NES. NES. Okay. Yeah. And it was a, like a platforming side-scroller game. You played as Kevin and you avoided the wet bandits in the house. But it was a little bit of a, I guess you could call it a Metrovania kind of game in the sense that it, you could explore the whole house and unlock different parts. You had to get different tools to access different areas and it was it you have the most memorable part is that you could slide on the zip line just like in the movie and gain access to the treehouse that way that actually sounds like good it was a really interesting game i remember it being pretty hard wouldn't have ness era tie-in video games to movies notoriously been pretty slapdash and not good yeah i have very fond memories of it i can't really authoritatively claim that it's a good video game but i remember it yeah Oh, I would love to do a feature where we stream Christmas video games and play Christmas video games. That would be fun. You'll twitch your eye out? <laughs> you'll twitch your... <laughs> you'll, you'll podcast your twitchy eye. Yeah. Hey, your eye's twitching. <laughs> we'll be our Twitch channel. <laughs> sure. Hey, your eye's twitching. What's your... Yeah. Something wrong with your eye? I wrote, if you got shot in the face with a BB gun, that would probably take a chunk of your face off. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my dad told me a story several times about when my dad actually uh, did gift me a BB gun for Christmas one year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a real thing that a real Christmassy thing that happened in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he several times during my youth and this time as well told me a story about a friend who got shot in the face with a BB gun when they were young. Yeah. <laughs> and still has the BB embedded in his jaw. Wow. And because they just kind of left it. What a great souvenir from his youth. And that was the reason that was the reasoning that my dad gave for why you don't point a BB gun at someone's face, even <laughs> though it's not a real gun. So I'm led to believe that BB guns, when fired at close range at someone's skin, have enough have enough oomph to go under the skin. So I feel that B- that BB was going in. I mean, of all the things that are these two poor men are subjected to during the siege of Kevin's house, uh, that is the least real, least unrealistic thing that happens to them is that they survive the shot to the head with a BB gun. Considering Marv receives the iron from about a twenty foot drop right onto his skull. Yeah, like you gotta think that that would maybe be a skull fracture. Yeah, let yeah. me. I don't know if I got them all, but I tried to list all the different things that happened to them. Oh, Let's did you? Did I you can, get? Yeah. Yeah. So Kevin shoots Marvin, no, pe- pe- shoots Pesky in the dick with the the BB gun, and then shoots Marvin the head with the BB gun. Yeah, he freezes the stairs in the front and back of the house, and both of the criminals fall painfully on the stairs. Then Kevin drops the iron on Marv's head uh, from way high up. That should have killed him. At that point, we have the burning doorknob, which scalds pesky's hand brands his hand yeah there's the nails in the that are coming out of the Ooh, the tar the tar that forces oh, him to right. take his yep, the tar so feet tar on his shoes and or socks uh kevin has the makeshift flamethrower that he uses on the head of pesci and then 
Pesci is tarred and feathered because he, he he's further feathered after being tarred. Marv jumps on the broken bulbs outside of the window and but he and Kevin cleverly set it up so that he would have to have taken off his shoes before walking on the bulbs because he is so cruel. The Hot Wheels or micro machines oh. that are at the bottom of the stairs, which yep. they slip on and they're on their tuchuses again. They both simultaneously slip and fall. Yeah. And then finally. That happens just before the paint cans. That's right. Yep. And then finally the, the zip line, I guess, could be included because he uses a zip line to drop them onto the into the yard. It's not part of the plan, but mm. in an act of serendipity, when Kevin is just about to get caught, he does get an opportunity to place a spider on Marv's face. That's right, the spider Buzz's too. escaped tarantula, which <laughs> uh, the tarantula escaped when Kevin was trying to climb Buzz's flimsily built IKEA shelves. <laughs> the rest of this house looks very sturdily built, but I guess those shelves just couldn't take an eight-year-old climbing to the top of them because they collapsed down on him like a deck of cards. <laughs> Kevin came crashing down. So yeah, so the spider's just been having free reign of the house for a little while and That's just true. happens to show up at the right moment to to be put on Marv's face. And then uh, the spider finds itself onto Harry and he ends up getting a crowbar to the sternum <laughs> <laughs> because he's uh, trying to use a crowbar as a insect swatter. <laughs> so much solid pieces of metal smack into these men. It is probably the most violent movie I saw as a kid. One of the most, like, other than, like, Black Christmas, which is intentionally a horror movie, it's probably the most violent Christmas movie, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's this theory about Kevin. Yeah. And his trap making. Yeah. That he grows up to become a jigsaw from the Saw series. No. Makes a lot of sense. Oh, I said no because it does. He learns how satisfying it is to punish criminals through elaborate traps. Again, if you're a libertarian, you can always make the argument like Kevin is defending his property and and he's a little kid and he's scared. But I mean, he's taking a lot of glee. He's tossing off action movie one liners like he's he's enjoying taking these two these these two home invaders to task. This movie, a lot like the Santa Claus features the kind of. Like little kid fantasy of completely overtaking adults. The same thing happens a somewhat with the Santa Claus with Tim Allen's son. Like it's his fantasy to become completely enmeshed in this Christmas universe. Kevin represents this like, you know, boy, this boyhood Rambo fantasy. Basically. I told you the McCallic the McAllisters have a beautiful year round Yuletide decorating scheme. Yeah. Like Kevin does live in a, Christmas, in a Christmas universe. He's the first kid that's not obsessed with Christmas. He's Christmas neutral. Yeah. And then the wet bandits almost get him, and he's rescued by the South Bend shovel slayer. <sighs> I wanted to talk about when the wet bandits get him because Kevin's got this, this, this is another thing too. Like if you're our age and you watched this when you were a kid, you might've been a little confused by Kevin phoning the police, giving a false address, (laughs) saying his name's Murphy (laughs) and then running across the street to a house that's flooding. And then you asked me, is that like the house they already hit? And it's just like, yeah, no, don't worry. This movie's not hucking a, some other flooding natural disaster <laughs> thing at you. This this has everything to do with Harry and Marv. And that's where he ca- he uh, the wet bandits catch up with Kevin is actually at this neighbor's house. That's right. And again, so this is like a really elaborate thing where Kevin is not just going to run to the neighbor's house to like phone the police. No, he knows that the that house is abandoned too. Also, it's just dawning on me. When did the phone lines start working? That's well, that's why he runs to that house because the phone lines aren't working at his own house. 
But we see a scene in the bedroom, don't we? He's in his parents' bedroom. In the bedroom, I'm pretty sure. Mm. And that's when he does the zip, like because he's not calling. He's well, and that well, Marv has a line. He's like, he's not calling the cops from his little kitty treehouse, right? That's right. So he's got a, but much unbeknown to Harry, yeah, Kevin's already phoned the cops. Mm, That's right. So that's before he gets to the neighbor's house. Interesting. So I don't know. So for how much I was a smarty at the beginning, and I was like, I caught all the exposition this time. I don't know when the phone lines were. (laughs) Well, I guess we had that electrical guy who's like, they'll be up in a few days, and it's been a few days. Yeah. So they're back up. (laughs) I guess in Chicago, when the utilities. The utility guy tells you when it'll be back up. He ain't lying. You can trust the Chicago utility company. Yeah. <laughs> when they're looking out the window uh, after like the like the zip line is also like a pretty big piece of hemp rope. So yeah. it's pretty clear that Kevin's over there. Yeah. But then they're like, where'd he go? <laughs> and Marv's like, maybe he committed suicide, which is a <laughs> nonsensical and very dark line. Yeah. I the fact that the South Bend shovel slayer uses his shovel to beat up the criminals at the end. <laughs> Yeah, actually, where it's like, eh, maybe we better make a note of that for our true crime podcast yeah, that we're doing later on I this. I feel like the evidence on all up. these unsolved <laughs> Chicago shovel slings, because we now have we've seen him use his shovel as a weapon, exactly. like given against two people who were about to cannibalize a child, but threatened to bite all his little fingers off. That's what he said. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like I was worried that. He had maybe one of the fingers in his mouth, and I was a little afraid that the shovel slayer wouldn't move fast enough. Oh, uh. <laughs> and Kevin maybe would be doing Home Alone 2, Lost in New York with uh, nine little fingies. Oh, my God. Yeah. Again, there may be, maybe there's a dark edit of this that uh, John Hughes didn't write, or uh, that John Hughes put in the can. I hope not. Uh, I said, must be nice living in a rich Chicago suburb. The cops showed up pretty damn fast once. Yeah. once. Kevin or it's like again the cops showed up so fast this should have all been over like a lot sooner absolutely yeah this is a movie where a little bit more communication would solve a lot of problems right this reminded me there was a news story a little while ago about a dude who had broken into an old lady's house and he was like I'm gonna rob this old lady because she's old and vulnerable but he did not know that she was setting up a bunch of elaborate traps that would catch him no oh good guess though she was a bodybuilder oh. and she uh, uh i the, like the description was intense that it's like he she you know punched him pretty hardcore three or four times threw him through a table and broke it and uh yeah he called uncle and the cops came and they took him away wow <laughs> yeah. good for her so it reminded me of that where it's like an instance where uh you know, basically the cops show up and it's like, wow, but but you kind of wish you had seen us from the beginning because <laughs> <laughs> really put you through the motions. Kate's still on the road with John Candy. That's right. She's still fretting. She's still very, very g- guilty. And or she's kind of at a denouement moment where she's just like dealing with what the actual aftermath is going to be. Like my kid's going to be a little me- like sh- like my kid's going to be messed up. Like yeah. he might be safe when I get home, but he might be. He's good, like, or it's like, my, like, I mean, the last thing he said to her was like, "I, I hate you, mom." Essentially, yeah. so she's a little just like, or I, I don't know, or maybe she's just doing some soul searching, like, ah, maybe I am a bit, of, maybe the family is pretty jerky, <laughs> Kevin. It's kind of dawning she's on her. Realize that by now, right? But that's when John Candy tells his story about leaving his kid at the funeral parlor. <laughs> I want to believe so strongly. Like, I mean, not that John Hughes is not an amazing writer. <laughs> but I, I really, really strongly believe that John Candy improv that part because it's the single funniest joke in the whole movie. It's, it's, oh yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, it's just def- yeah, definitely a, a, a John Candy golden moment. What a golden nugget of a joke. <laughs> 
What a what a bit. What an evocative bit. What a haunting vignette <laughs> to imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely, I can imagine this poor kid being left in the funeral parlor all day. <laughs> I liked. Uh, he said, "Well, he was all right, you know." After three or four weeks, started talking again. <laughs> so the kid was just yeah. mute for. The the point of the story was kids are resilient. Yeah, kids are resilient. They bounce back. They're you know, their uh, their kneecaps haven't hardened yet, <laughs> into, like as adults. So when they spill to the pavement and clatter onto life's pavement, they recover a lot better than us. They'll be fine. They'll bounce back. That's what John Candy is. Even though he tells her that like horrible story about neglectful parenting to try to make her feel better, and <laughs> she does not feel better. And he says, well, you asked. The reunion between the mom and Kevin, which is pretty much the next scene, is pretty much pitch perfect. She's she's definitely, like, they're hesitant, where yeah, it's just like yeah. the last, you know, the last thing they had was a fight. And yeah. and we're like, <laughs> she's definitely got this look like, uh, I abandon you and you don't have to forgive me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, or I'm not, uh, I'm not 100% sure whether this kid's going to be happy to see me because I am a very, I left my kid home alone. <laughs> uh I was distracted uh, during this scene because, again, very nitpicky, but mm. I just wanted to say that there's no way an eight-year-old did that cleanup job. Yeah, I thought that too. The house was immaculate after, and he destroyed it. How is that possible? Like this, and again, we've established that, like, again, Kevin has grown a lot. He couldn't pack a suitcase when we met him. Now he's doing laundry. He's doing the shopping by himself. He, uh... He knows that it's better to shoplift a toothbrush than to pay for it. So he's learning a lot of adult lessons. But I don't think that he knows how to get like tar out of a carpet or uh, clean up little shards of glass. I would describe the house as looking staged. Yeah. Like if they were going to do a Christmas parade of homes walkthrough, the house would be (laughs) per like Kate would be not stressed if that were happening today because the house looked immaculate. So, I mean, it's a movie, Jess. (laughs) But... I did want to just, as somebody who uh, has a little bit of experience with uh, both amateur and professional cleaning, I can tell you that an eight-year-old did not do that cleaning (laughs) job. Again, I was like not the sharp, maybe not the sharpest kid when I was eight, but I think I would have known they went on vacation. Like, I think just at some point I would have assumed that they didn't just poof and disappear. I would have maybe been like, you know, that vacation that they were talking about that everybody was going to leave for in the morning. Yeah. I lay a 10 to one. That's where they went. Kevin's just one of those kind of guys that is smart enough to design an entire elaborate trap system to foil two criminals, but not smart enough to figure out that his parents went to Paris without him. Exactly. So, I mean, but I mean, hey, you know what? That's kind of maybe the... uh, that's kind of how smart kids are. Like, or yeah. like, a, when an eight-year-old is smart, you're smart in some areas, and then you're just dumbity dum dum in <laughs> some others. We wanted to mention the last episode because *Planes, Trains, and Automobiles* is directed by John Hughes as That's well. Right. And this movie is written by John Hughes, but it's not directed by John Hughes. It's actually directed by Chris Columbus. Chris Columbus. Yes. Oh. Chris Columbus directed one of my childhood favorite movies that we've already made a reference to. What's that? Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Can you see a little bit of parallels in like in tone and stuff between uh, Adventures in Babysitting in this movie? Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas to be over so we can rewatch Adventures in Babysitting. When I saw that he did Adventures in Babysitting, I was like, oh my God. And like, I was like, oh, that's who he is. Cool. Um, he d- directed the two most successful Harry Potter films. <laughs> so <laughs> other people might know him for that. Oh, okay. Do you want to talk about how this 
film made you feel and how much Christmas spirit you have. Shall we pull out the old Christmas cheerometer? Nostalgia gets in the way of this one for me. Like it's It's a common problem with these films. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see one to rate one that I I guess well with Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street I had a chance to just rate it as a Christmas classic, but That's this right. is like in the same sort of like this is a modern Christmas classic. It's also a film I don't know about you, but I watched it all year round as a child. This, this was, was not, an all this was a, a an all season hit in yeah, your household. Yeah, this film was not relegated to the holiday season whatsoever. I don't know if I would have had the self discipline to save it for the holidays. Actually, that's a yeah. good point. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe we would have rolled it out around Christmas or watched it around Christmas more so in my in my household. You know what? I get? John Williams does the soundtrack. Yeah. And it's funny because he asked me right away, he's like, oh, did Denny Elfman do the music to this one? And I'm like, good, like, good guess because the beginning scene is very, like, Christmassy but creepy. Like, mm-hmm. it's, or it's very, like, sneaky Christmas theme. And I got to say, like, this movie, get, like, get, like, do, 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 do. It had me right from that beginning, Absolutely. like, that, ooh, was <laughs> flood of nostalgia. So it had me right from the gate. This movie is full of Christmas themes and tropes. Yeah. It really... Or we have another climax happening on Christmas Eve. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no denial of the Christmas content. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me personally, you know what? I'm going to give this... It's a solid eight for me. An eight An eight what? You got to give it a... Eight paint cans to the face. <laughs> oh, <laughs> eight that's good. R- eight red hot, l- red hot loops that I don't know what they are that I'm putting on doors. Eight eight smashed Christmas ornaments going into your bare feet. Between this movie and Die Hard, yeah. broken glass on a in bare feet is also a That's Christmas right. motif. So we'll have to keep an eye out whether that happens in other any Christmas other ones. Films. Yeah. Huh. Our director, Chris Columbus, also directed Mrs. Doubtfire. Which Mainstays we, of the 90s. We made a lot of parallels to that movie in the Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. That's right. Yeah. I'm trying to think about what I want to rate this movie. Yeah. And... More mostly, I'm trying to think of what object I want to rate it out of. Yeah, what's your rating system? Or mm. did I take all the good ones? You took some. You took all the good ones. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the pink hand to the face because I really that really Iconic. took me when you said it. So I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna say about the same eight out of ten because it is such a Christmassy movie. It really plays up beautifully those that essential christmas theme of how important it is to be united with your family for the holidays it's really funny and delightful but it doesn't make me feel as christmassy as other films i think mostly because like you said nostalgia gets in the way so much for this one or it's yeah not a lot of people's christmas ritual to like you know um militarize their home and (laughs) defend it so i mean it's not it's gonna be it's a non-traditional christmas eve so it's maybe not maybe not how your family prepares or Kevin's Christmas night rituals may not look like ours, but we we love watching him do it. Absolutely. The wet bandits get it in the end. They get sent up the river. That's right. The wet bandits are arrested and sent off. They're going to be going away for a pretty long time because they know they hit every house that they hit because of Harry's calling card. Too. That's right. Yep. So. Was it not the smartest move? I think it was a combination of that and, like I said, creep creeping around in their obviously creepy van. Yeah. In broad daylight every day for three days <laughs> in the same neighborhood where there's been a bunch of loud robberies. Don't do like Harry and Marv do. We see a lot of our characters go on journeys, and Kevin definitely went on a journey where he went from being he le- he learned the lesson of appreciating his family. And also learn the lesson of laundry. And I mean, two <laughs> of them the lesson are... of laundry, yeah. 
and I mean, it's arguable which is the more important adult of which one's going to serve you better in your adult life. DIY zip lines are obviously the most important thing you can learn to do. Yes. <laughs> it is like overwhelming, like the amount of work that this kid gets done in this amount of time to like set this house up for these two guys. So, I mean, that's to me, that's the overwhelming thing is that like Kevin in just like a very, very short time under abandonment, uh, under abandonment, abandonment becomes extremely self-sufficient. <laughs> yeah, I think self-sufficiency, taking care of yourself has to be the most important theme from the film. Self-care when you're on your own, <laughs> which is what a lot of people are experiencing yeah. here for Christmas 2020. Or uh, Kevin, Kevin is a great model for solo Christmas. Absolutely. Like if you're on Christmas lockdown... You Just know, get yourself a big bowl of ice cream, superheat the doorknobs on your house. Yeah. However you want to celebrate, whether that's, you know, whether it's a macaroni and cheese dinner, that, yeah. you know, that uh, actually the one thing you didn't plan well because you didn't get to eat it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So whether that means watching like watching old gangsta movies, whether that means eating a literal mountain of 28 scoops of ice cream in front of those movies. <laughs> I was going to say whether that means faking out the pizza boy. Don't fake out the pizza boy. T please, please tip your U Uber Eats drivers and your Fedora drivers like during the holidays and don't. Thank God for contactless yeah. delivery. Yeah. <laughs> no longer needed to, right. to scare your pizza delivery, man. I think that's pretty much it. So that's that's everything we've got to say about home alone we oh it's, it's a christmas classic yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we both personally rated it i but it's like a it's another 90s christmas classic absolutely yeah don't forget to check us out on all our social media you can get us on twitter at your eye out get us on instagram and facebook at you'll podcast your eye out and make sure to rate us real high on itunes five stars so that we're super popular and everyone loves us. And you can go ahead and hit the subscribe button yeah. to any of our podcasts because then you're going to see when our next episode drops. And what's going to be our next episode? The next episode is going to be Dr. Zeus, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> Wonderful. And honestly, a little shorter, and I'm not <laughs> I'm terribly not upset lie. by that. This one was because it's a it's a little bit of a shorty, and 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 as we've established to our audience, and kind of maybe only half apologize for, we are a little behind already, yep. and we're trying to maybe get a bit ahead of the game. So we're hoping if we do this little shorty mini, it might be a little shorty mini episode, or who knows, it might be long. We might have a lot to say about uh, about Grinchy Boo. We're keeping up our tradition of producing episodes that are longer than the films that we're talking about. Yep, <laughs> a lot to say. A lot to say. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Happy holidays, everybody. And we'll see you next time. See you tomorrow. And goodbye. Bye.